Corinthians chapter number 15. First Corinthians chapter number 15. I'm going to read verse 10. Here is a man named Paul, fully inspired by God. And here the Lord says, just testify about me. Let's start, excuse me, let's start in verse 9. He says in verse 9, the apostle Paul, For I am the least of the apostles, they're not made to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Uh, I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for God's grace tonight. I'm thankful that it's by the grace of God I am what I am. If you're going to title this message tonight, it's called, uh, By the Grace of God, I Am What I Am. I believe each and every one of us, uh, we could go right into Thanksgiving Day, uh, let the turkey burn and everything, if we were just standing around here taking turns telling how good God's been to us. Uh, and a lot of us, we take up a lot of time because God has been that good to us that we've got so much to tell about the grace of God in our lives. And I hope you're just as excited about that. Uh, I was listening to that song, Jesus Never Fails. And I I'm so thankful that He's never failed in my life. And His grace has never failed in my life. And He's always uh, been sufficient in exactly what I needed. And, and I hope you feel the same way that He's exactly what you need. And I hope you can say as well, by the grace of God, you are who you are this evening. I want to share with you quickly three quick truths about God's grace, about how God was gracious in Paul's life, and then I want us to apply that to our own lives and realize that that same grace that he showed to the Apostle Paul is the same exact grace that he shows to you and to me today. And that same grace is just as powerful as it was back then, and it is still today. And so I hope this will be a blessing to your hearts. Look over in Acts chapter number 7. Acts chapter number 7. Here, uh, there's a man named Stephen, one of the early, de uh, the early deacons, sorry, I was about to go Spanish on you, I guess. Uh, one of the early deacons of, you want to call it the First Baptist Church at Jerusalem. And uh, here he's, he's witnessing to some religious men, and he's tell telling them that Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah. These Jewish men that don't want to hear that, they just crucified them. Uh, how dare anyone accuse them of crucifying the Messiah? But here he doesn't care. He decides that uh, he's going to tell them like it is and tell them who Jesus is and how that God is gracious and Jesus is gracious to even them right now if they'll just receive him. But they didn't like what they heard. In verse 54 he says, When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him, with their teeth. We're in Acts chapter 7, verse 54. They gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, talking about Stephen, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. I like to stop there and say when you decide to stand up for Jesus Christ and you decide to say you don't care what anyone thinks but you're going to be a witness in a dark world and you're going to share the gospel and talk about Jesus with those around you no matter the consequences, Jesus will stand up for you. 
You say, well, how do you know that? It says right here, Stephen, uh, uh, it said after Jesus ascended into heaven, after he had rose again the third day, and after he spent some time on earth as a testimony, he rose up and it said that he was seated at the right hand of the Father, seated. But here we don't see him seated at this moment when Stephen's fixing to be put to death, when Stephen's fixing to count the cost and pay the price to serve the Lord. Jesus isn't just sitting down on the job, uh, but he's standing for him, making intercession, and he's giving honor to Stephen even given his life for the gospel. I don't know about you, but I, that excites me to know that we've got that kind of backing from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It says, uh, verse uh, 57, we'll skip down. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon them with one accord. I, I got to thinking that stopped their ears. That sounded uh, kind of strange and uh, my mind goes back to elementary school. I don't know if you can think back that far when you were uh, playing on the monkey bars or on the swing or, or, or on the merry-go-round. And uh, usually the boys would all congregate on one side of the playground and the girls would congregate on the other side. And them girls would have their Barbie dolls or their Cabbage Patch dolls or I don't know what y'all had back in the day when y'all were kids. And, and uh, the guys, is pretty much the same thing. Football, baseball, soccer ball, whatever uh, we'd have on the other side. And we'd be playing sports or or playing around, and, and usually some obnoxious little girl would get up and start singing a song. And she would sing a familiar song, and she would always put two people together from one side of the playground to the other, and she'd say, Johnny and Jessica, sitting in a tree. K-I-S-S-I-N-G. First comes love, then comes? Then comes? In a baby carriage. And they'd sing that, and it seemed like that obnoxious girl would always put Johnny with some ugly little girl on the other side of the playground. <laughs> and Johnny, he didn't like to hear that, so you know what he'd do? He'd stop his ears. Na, 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 na. Didn't want to hear it. Didn't want to hear nothing that had to be said. And I got to thinking about these men. It says they stopped their ears and hear these men that, that knew the Scriptures that were doctors in the law and doctors in the, in the theology of the, God, or of, the, uh, of the Old Testament uh, uh, Bible and everything. And here they were acting like school children when they heard the Gospel preached. And they couldn't handle it. And it says here, Then they cried with a loud voice, stopped their ears, ran upon one with one accord, and cast them out of the city, and stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul. Now we read a little while ago in 1 Corinthians 15, 10, where Paul, the Apostle Paul, is saying, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. I don't know about you, you don't have to dig too deep, but you realize that Paul wasn't always called Paul. He was known by a different name before he met Jesus. Does that sound familiar to any of you tonight? I don't know how, where you were when you met Jesus, but maybe before you knew Jesus as your Savior, the community knew you by a different name, uh, your family knew you by a different name, but then Jesus came your way, and Jesus changed your life, and Jesus made a difference, and you know what? He gave you a new name. We know Paul wasn't always called Paul. He was, his name before was Saul. And this is him right here in the Scriptures. And Stephen's being put to death right there in front of him. Over in chapter 8 it says, And Saul was consenting unto his death. If you read further back in chapter 7, and I think go back to chapter 6, it says that his face shined like an angel. He was that full of the Holy Ghost that he was shining like an angel and he was being a testimony. And the first truth I want us to know about God's grace tonight is that God was gracious in directing his presence in Paul's life. 
He was gracious in directing his presence through Stephen being stoned to death. He was trying to get a hold of Saul and change his life and direct his presence in Paul's life. I want to take you back to the story. There was a little boy named Anthony, about three, four years old, right around this time between Thanksgiving and Christmas. The, the years were early 60s. The place was Detroit, Michigan. His mama was the nicest way to put it, a prostitute. She was involved with drugs, and, and she was basically giving her body away for her addictions. And little Anthony had three other brothers and sisters, all from different daddies. It was in the ghetto he lived, and it was a messed up situation, but he woke up one morning, Mama! Mama! Mama was nowhere to be seen. His older sister said, Anthony, uh, Mama's left us. I've, I got a hold of your biological father, and you're going to go live with him. Anthony pulls up in the driveway. You can see the white picket fence, the brick building, the car in the driveway. It looked like at the time what is the equivalent of the American dream. But Anthony learned, just in a few short days, learned that his biological father was an alcoholic and a drunk. He would beat his stepmom, his stepbrother, and even beat him when he was uh, uh, drunk during the weekends. Anthony would be sitting there playing with his toys, and his dad would... He liked pistols, and he'd point a gun at his head and pull the trigger as a joke like he was going to shoot him with an empty gun. Anthony never knew the love of an earthly father. Got to, in, got to his teenage years, just like any person that doesn't understand the love of an earthly father, maybe from a broken home, and he got involved with drugs and violence and gangs and OD'd several times on drugs, almost died from it. But when he was 18 years old, a preacher came to his house and preached the gospel to him. And he got to that verse, Romans 10, 13, where it says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And man, that hit Anthony right in the heart like a two-edged sword, and he was under conviction. And shortly after that, he's in his bedroom on his knees uh, uh, with a Catholic history and a religious history. But he's on his knees saying, Lord Jesus, if you'll save me, change my life and save me in his bedroom. And y'all know what happened next? He got saved. Aren't you thankful that Jesus never fails? Aren't you thankful that He fulfills His promises and that He's faithful to save us and to forgive us of our sins? And He took that little boy Anthony and saved his life and changed him. He got on fire for God and wound up at a Baptist church. And next thing you know, he's in Bible college. At the same time his life was going on, there was a young woman in the late 50s. place was Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, she was a young single woman wanted to go to church and a deacon of the church said, hey, I don't live too far. I'll give you a ride to church. So him and his wife and kids would take this young woman to church every Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. And after a while, the deacon decided to start taking his family home first. One thing led to another, and this young woman winds up pregnant with a little girl named Lynn. Lynn grew up. They tried to cover everything up. Lynn never knew, the, knew who her daddy was. Grew up right alongside her daddy, never knowing that was her daddy. They covered up the sin, tried to cover everything up, and, and Lynn never knew the love of an earthly father. She got into her teens, and she found out the love of a heavenly father at a summer camp. She got saved, and next thing you know, she was at a Bible college. Just so happened to be, Anthony was walking down his Bible college one day and walking through the halls and singing, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound, the sweetest song that I know. And all of a sudden... He saw a pretty lady walking down the hall. It was Lynn. Lynn saw a handsome man. 
Next thing you know, there were wedding bells in the air and they got married and they became one flesh like the Bible talks about. And not too long after that, they were at a hospital and there was a nursery. You could hear babies' cries. I was one of those babies. I said all that to say this, that God was gracious and directing His presence in my life before I even existed. He wanted to make a presence through my parents' life. And he, he, he brought them to Jesus. And he took my dad from a broken, messed up situation. And my mama from a broken, messed up situation. And he brought them together so that way they could raise a family that would serve the Lord. Amen. I don't know about you, but it's by the grace of God I am what I am. It's Amen. by his grace I even can be able to stand here this morning or this evening. Because God directed his presence Amen. in my life. Where were you when you first realized God was directing his presence in your life? I want to tell you, uh, you may go back, oh, it was 1960, it was 1980, it was in a church. It doesn't matter what year you say, it went way further back than you can imagine. It says before the foundations of the world were put in place, Jesus was ready to die for you, and he was ready to die for me, a lamb to be slaughtered for all mankind's sin. And from the very beginning, God directed his presence in our lives. You know what, he was gracious to do that? He didn't have to do that. You know, we're, we're saved believers. And sometimes we're spoiled, aren't we, as Christians? And sometimes we forget about that we're worthless, rotten, filthy sinners that God saved by grace. And you know what? He didn't have to save us, but he couldn't help it because he is love. And he wouldn't be a loving God if he just sent us all to hell without any opportunity to escape. But Jesus came to the cross for you and for me because he wanted to direct his presence in our lives. Aren't you thankful for God's grace? And I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for that grace and I need to hurry. Not only was God gracious in directing His presence, but secondly, God was gracious in displaying His power. Acts chapter number 9. For the sake of the time, I'm not going to read all the Scripture, but here uh, Saul at the time, the Apostle Paul, when he was still Saul, he was breathing out threatenings and slaughters against the church and and here he's wanting to go arrest people, and Jesus meets him on the Damascus Road. Many of us know this story. Verse 4, it says, And he, Paul, fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. Uh, we, we read later on, and for sake of time, we won't go there, but a man named Ananias is talked to by God. He says, I want you to go heal Saul of his blindness. And Ananias is like, are you sure? Are you sure that's what you want me to do? This is a per persecutor of the church. And he's like, come again? None of us, we've never questioned God, have we? No, 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 no. We're, yes, sir. Si, senor. <laughs> right away, we just want to do exactly what God wants us to do. But here he, he, he questioned it. But here later on he went and he heals him of his blindness and he receives the Holy Spirit and we see the conversion of Paul. We see God display his power in Paul's life. They said there was light that shined around him. And that's that Shekinah glory, that power of Jesus that shined over him when he received Jesus as his Savior. Uh, I, I was born in, in, in the north. I'm, I'm a Yankee, but I was raised in the south. So I'm a cornbread-fed Yankee. And... Uh, <laughs> But by the time I was nine years old, I'd lived all over the country from, uh, from Indiana to, to Seattle, Washington, to Texas, to New York City. And then finally, we wound up in a place called North Augusta, South Carolina, just across the Savannah River, uh, not too far from here, at a place called Victory Baptist Church. 
And there's an old crazy preacher named Larry Brown, fireball preacher. He's from North Carolina, but transplanted to South Carolina. And they had a thing called camp meeting. I'm pretty sure y'all are familiar with camp meeting. They put up a ragtop tent and sawdust on the ground, and the preacher would preach, and some people would get boiled peanuts and just watch everything that's going on, <laughs> just like if you're at the circus. Well, one night, it was May 5th, 1993, as a nine-year-old boy, a, a preacher, an old-time preacher by the name of Ed McAbee, was preaching on hell that night. And I realized for the first time that I needed a Savior to save me from my sins. I had known it up here. My parents were saved. They had preached the gospel. I could quote the Romans Road to you, but I knew it here, but not here. And I went down that aisle that night in that sawdust, and I asked the Lord to save me. Y'all know what he did next? He saved me. Uh, God displayed his power in my life. That same light that he shined on the Damascus Road uh, was the same exact light and power that he shined in my daddy's bedroom when he got saved. And, and then years later down the line, when I was a, and underneath a ragtop tent, Jesus shined that same light in my life and my heart. And I received, God, uh, received Jesus as my Savior. And he displayed his power in my life. Where were you when God displayed his power in your life? Or has he? He wants to. But you've got to open your eyes and look. He wants to display his power in your life, but will you let him? Maybe the Holy Spirit's touching your heart tonight, and maybe you're religious. Maybe you're here because Grandma and Grandpa brought you here all these years, or your mom and daddy brought you here all these years. See, see, I was in a Christian home. My daddy was a preacher, my mama was a teacher, and, and, and technically you'd say, oh, that's a Christian family. But that did not mean that I got to go to heaven. I had to kneel on my knees and ask God to be my personal Lord and Savior. You hear that, uh, personal Savior. What are you talking about? It's when we individually ask Jesus to save us. See, there's a lot of people think, oh, God died for everyone, everyone's good. No, he, he made a way where there was no way, but we have to follow that way, which is a narrow path, and that's humbling our hearts and receiving him as our Savior, and he'll display his power in our life if we let him. So let me ask you tonight, has God displayed that power in your heart? You know, he was gracious to do that. He didn't have to do that. But he loved us, so he did. He displayed his power, and then he was gracious for that. Lastly, not only did he display his power but, and direct his presence, but lastly, let's look. Verse 15, he says, But the Lord said unto him, here, this is in the same chapter, Acts 9, verse 15. Uh, Ananias is having his conversation with the Lord. Took him a little while to finally come around and say, Okay, I'll go. He says uh, uh, um, in 13 and 14, he's saying, are you sure about this? And then 15, the Lord says, but the Lord said unto him, go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty specific, doesn't it? You know, I, I came in here, this beautiful building and, and these beautiful faces, Beautiful church, but I didn't see one yarmulke on any of y'all. I didn't see any of y'all with, with a prayer cloth that hangs down, or I, I didn't see a, a menorah, menorah is how you say it, in the, in the hallway. Uh, I mean, I'm pretty sure there's no Jews in here tonight. We're just a bunch of dirty uh, South Georgia Gentiles. And do you realize, at this point, up to this point, the big struggle with the church in Jerusalem was, they didn't understand that God's salvation was not just for the Jews, but it was for all mankind. 
And Jesus wanted to use the Apostle Paul to be a witness to people that would be a witness to people that would be a witness to people that would be a witness right here in Valdosta, Georgia. I don't know about you, but that's good. Uh, God had a plan designed for Paul, and it was a specific one. He said he's going to be before kings, and he's going to suffer for my name's sake. God wasn't only gracious in directing his presence and displaying his power, but lastly, God was gracious in designing his plan for Paul's life. And you know, he was gracious not only in designing his plan for Paul's life, but he was gracious in designing his plan for our lives. We look at the Apostle Paul, we read about him. We look at Moses and Noah and all these great men, John the Baptist that gone on before us, Ezekiel and Samuel and all these men, and we think, man, that's great. God had something specific for them. But we don't realize God's got something specific for each and every one of us. Every one of us, he's got something specific that he wants you to do. And he's got his will and his way for your life. But will we yield to it? He was gracious in making a design plan for us. But what will we do? I'll tell you what I did. I got saved when I was 9 years old, when I was 13 years old. Uh, I got up in upstate Vermont. I was uh, called to preach. And I had an out-of-body experience saying, you did what? Uh-uh, you ain't called to preach because preachers are poor. Preachers are poor. That's what I thought. I thought preachers are poor. And there's a lot that I knew that were poor. <laughs> my daddy was a poor preacher growing up. And I remember one year he, said, he was bragging about the whole family of six kids and everything, living off 10 grand for the whole year. And I was thinking, I don't want to brag about that. <laughs> But I, 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 the devil was deceiving me. He was trying to brag, and look what God's done, took care of all of us through all this time. But I, I, I ran from the call to preach. When I was 18 years old, I went to Mexico. The place was Jimenez, Chihuahua, Mexico. And that week I was there, God didn't just want me to preach, He wants me to do it in Spanish. And I said, no comprendo. I said, uh-uh, uh-uh, I'm not preaching. I'm not doing any of this, Lord. And I ran from what God had for me to do. And I, I was in Bible college. I was going to uh, Victory Baptist Bible College for my first year, my second, my first semester, my second year. I decided I was going to switch colleges. So I went to Trinity in Jacksonville, Florida for a semester. And I was going to do music. I don't know nothing about music. And I said, I'm going to go there and I'm going to be a musician. Usually if you're in college with music, you know a little bit of something before you go. <laughs> I know nothing. <laughs> I got there. My roommate was a Hispanic guy. Then we had a thing called a suite mate. They had a room next door and there's a bathroom between us. I walked across over there to say hi to them. And one of the boys that was over there, he was a missionary's kid. Can you guess to what country? Mexico. I couldn't get away from it. God, is that a plan for my life? And I just kept running from it like a cat trying to get away from a bath. I just kept running from it. And I, I, I negotiated with God and I pleaded with God and I said, God, I'm not going to get any pretty girl to go with me to Mexico. And, and I said, let me first focus on getting a wife. And I thought, I'm going to just get me a pretty girl. And then, and then, uh, and then more than likely, she ain't going to go to Mexico. So then I'm, I'm going to say, Lord, I want to go, but I can't because my wife ain't going to go. <laughs> well, next day, a pretty girl wound up on my doorstep, like Amazon Prime. And she, <laughs> she was right there. It was Chelsea. And man, I, I, I was smitten with her, and I, I liked her. I thought she was gorgeous, and, and she still is. And I thought, uh, I, I thought uh, um, that I'm going to marry this girl. So I went to her daddy to talk to him about marrying her. And he was going to the Bible College of Victory at the same time. And uh, he said, well, and she didn't tell me all these details. The Lord worked it out. 
She said, well, we're missionaries to Mexico. And I said, oh, no. <laughs> we went to Mexico. I got to propose to her in Mexico, and we went to the prison where my father-in-law was called to preach out of, and the Lord got a hold of my heart and said, Jared, why are you rejecting what I've called you to do? I've laid the foundation. I've paved the way. All you got to do is go. And I finally surrendered and said, Lord, I realize that you are gracious and designing a plan for my life. So I'm willing to go. And I, I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm still not a perfect person. You talk to my kids. They'll tell you, he's not perfect. He's a good man, but he's not perfect. But I want you to know that God didn't just design a plan for my life. He's designed a plan for you. Do you know what that plan is tonight? A lot of times we get scared to dig deep into what God's will is for our life because a lot of us, we're afraid. We're afraid God's going to send us to Russia or to China or to Mexico or some far western country where, where, where people don't barely know God in the States. But that might not be what God has you to do. Maybe God wants you to be surrendered so you can be a huge pillar in this church so that more souls in this community can know Jesus Christ as their Savior. So you can have an impact and an encouragement to your pastor, an encouragement to the deacons, an encouragement to the Sunday school teachers. And maybe God just wants you simply to be a Sunday school teacher. And all these years you say, I just, I just, I just can't do it. But if God's designed a plan for your life, he's the one doing it. All we have to do is be willing. Aren't you thankful for God's grace tonight? I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for the grace of God, that he was so gracious that he would think about that. When you go outside tonight and if you see some stars in the sky and you see a moon shining bright, that God that created all that stuff Amen. has taken time for you. Amen. It's not a cliche, it's reality. He's taken time. He knows you by name. He knows the hairs on your head. He knows, and do you realize that what he's called you to do is actually perfect for your personality? God puts you in a position because he knows who you are. He knows your quirks. He knows what you go through and what type of person you are. And he's got something specifically planned just for you because you're his child. And he knows who you are. And he knows how you can be used in a certain way. So don't fear his will. Embrace it. Because God was gracious to do it. I am what I am by the grace of God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this evening. As the uh, pianist comes to the piano, Lord, and as they... Uh, close out this invitation. Holy Spirit, I pray that you work in our hearts. Lord, I pray uh, that those that are believers will come to this altar tonight, Lord, and just get a hold of you. Maybe we're fixing to come up on a time of thanksgiving. Maybe they just want to come to the altar and say, Lord, thank you for the power you displayed in my life. Thank you for designing a plan for me, and thank you that I'm right in the middle of it. Lord, I pray that people come to this altar tonight, and they'd pray, and they thank you for what you've done for them. But Lord, I pray if someone in here tonight's lost, that they'd get saved before it's too late. And Lord, I pray if there's a believer, Lord, that's struggling, they know exactly what you want them to do, but they're too afraid to do it. Lord, it'd be the best decision they ever made, and that is to serve you. Lord, thank you for your grace tonight, Pastor.